motion. Give me either the either or the either. I told you we're out of Phoenix now. Okay, all right. <clears throat> Hi, you're listening to MageCast, the ensemble podcast by the well-read mage and a cast of mages. Each episode, I sit down with my rotating panel of guests to have some civil discourse about a single game. We're a group of games writers dedicated to long-form content and critique. You can find us on WordPress at thewellreadmage.com, on Twitter at thewellreadmage, and on YouTube. Crowdfunding support makes projects like MageCast possible. If you enjoy our work, written or otherwise, you can check out our Patreon campaign at patreon.com forward slash the well-read mage for more information on exclusives rewards and our vision for a future of better games writing and a friendlier gaming community links are in the description don't forget to like follow subscribe and share MageCast with your fellow adventurers leave us a review too oh and now let's start the show heroine heroine I was. I had to look up the pronunciation earlier <laughs> to make sure that I didn't say it wrong. Heroine, yeah. he, heroine. I don't know. It's kind of an awkward word. Yeah. I think that's why a lot of people have invented the word shiro. Have you heard that? No. Well, it's obviously like yeah, hero, right. but with she, right? Yeah. Shiro. Like heroine is something else. Yeah. <laughs> heroine sounds a little um, <laughs> addictive. Yeah. So this is going to be our ninth episode of MageCast. We're approaching our 10th. Thank you very much for listening this whole time, if you have been. If not, well, you can find all these podcasts pretty much where uh, podcasts are listened to. I don't know. Name me a place where you can't find MageCast, and I will get MageCast there. How's that? But you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, uh, and now Buzzsprout. Uh, Buzzsprout is uh, has been kind enough to um, help us out with a podcast network sponsorship that we're getting to be a part of with Opinioneering and Little Fella Media. So um, we're looking forward to building our relationships there. Um, I also, speaking of relationships, want to give a special shout out to two new patrons that we got on Patreon. They are Shadow Saotome. And Play Jack, you two are excellent individuals with exquisite taste in <laughs> brands to support, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so thanks very much for your support. Um, we're going to make sure that we turn it into uh, pure content and just be able to feed right back into this system. Uh, we're going to be also, uh, speaking of content, launching a new podcast called MageCast side quests led by the ABXY Mage. He's on Twitter at ABXY Reviews. Um, now we've kind of been teasing side quests for a while now, but this is officially the launch date. We are going to go live with MageCast side quests on the 29th. That's November. 29th so mark your calendars if do people still mark their calendars i don't think so but if you're the kind who marks calendars go ahead and mark your calendar that's november 29th which is a thursday all right it's going to be an awesome thursday you guys you'll be able to find side quests same place that you can find Magecast. um so look out for that it's going to be exciting i appeared on it um it's going to be led by abx wine though not myself 
But we talked about the evolution of video game music over time from sort of the earliest arcade era through the Commodore 64 uh, up until the modern era. So a lot to cover. We're going to release smaller episodes, but in a batch on launch day. And they're going to be just really supplementary, um, briefer, uh, more digestible, let's put it that way, episodes. So I'm looking forward to that. But today is uh, another episode of MageCast. And today I'm sitting down with one of our founding members who, what is this, your fourth appearance? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, so you've done, you were on Journey. Yeah, I was on Journey, Alien Isolation, uh, and Final Fantasy Tactics. Tactics, yeah. okay. So this is your fourth appearance. Uh, this is Cameron, the Timely Mage. So uh, go ahead and just, uh, you've been here a while, so um, yeah. you might be new to some people, but... Yeah. If you are, they can just go back and listen to your spiel. <laughs> so you don't have to tell your life story again. Um, but you could talk about a little bit about what you're playing right now. Oh, well, as it happens, I'm playing No Man's Sky. <laughs> <Still>? <laughs> they just released uh, another big update <laughs> just uh, yesterday. So, Oh, really? Um, yeah, so I just uh, went hopped back on there and you know check it out. And yeah, it's been fun. Um, I'm actually kind of in a awkward period with gaming because... Um, I'm in the middle of moving. I'm at, living with my in-laws right now, so I don't really get much time on TV anymore. So I, I want to play a, a lot of different games like Assassin's Creed, uh, Odyssey, yeah. Red Dead Redemption 2, etc. You know, there's a, there's a ton of games on my waiting list right now. But, um, you know, uh, a couple more weeks and I should be back in the game. So Nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I imagine once you get your house... You're like, set up the TV oh, now. Oh, yeah. That's like going up the, before, like, the beds and the, <laughs> the fridge. The oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, the essentials, you know, that you got to oh, yeah. prioritize. No, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, especially the feeling of, like, missing out on uh, several big titles. Right oh, yeah. Now. Yeah. Um, a lot of those uh, are going to probably win some awards. Mm-hmm. We're looking forward to the Game Awards coming up pretty soon. Yeah, the Game Awards will be on December 6th. Um, I'm going to watch it. Uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, I'm pretty sure, was one of the Game of the Year uh, nominees, right? Oh, it's going to be a real tight race, yeah, uh, for Game of the Year. There's some really, really good games this year. I think uh, God of War will take it. Uh, I don't know, man. What's your your bid? Well, me, I, I, it's, it's a, I'd probably say God of War, um, is my bid, um, but, uh, you know, Spider-Man got a lot of praise. I doubt it'll win over God of War or um, Red Dead Redemption 2. I have a feeling it's going to be Red Dead because it's multi-plat. It's, you know, more popular. You know, like uh, I think in one of the previous ones, um, I was kind of surprised that The Last of Us didn't win that year um, over, um, I think it was GTA 5 had won, which, yeah, you know. GTA always wins. Right, exactly. Game. So and these are made by the same people. So, you know, I, I think, and not to say that it's not warranted. I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, really, really. But it's not game. the last of us. <laughs> Be a little more inflammatory than that. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I was really upset <laughs> that yeah, year. I was like, "This like, is garbage." Turn this crap off. <laughs> that was like last year when we were watching uh, Game Awards together, and then Breath of the Wild won, and like you just didn't you stopped responding. Yeah. I was like, I think he stopped watching. I just yeah gave up. <laughs> I'm going to bed. So that was actually so we talked about this on the Breath of the Wild podcast episode, which is available. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first time Nintendo won Game mm-hmm. of the Year, 
at the Game Awards, including its predecessor, the Spike Video Game Awards show. Oh, yeah. So 15 years, I think, is what we looked at. 15, 16 years. Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so it was about time. But, yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, this year, uh, it's Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Celeste, which is really cool to me to see an indie. Yeah, that is really cool. There. I haven't um, played it, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't played it either. I read a review that uh, we had submitted to the well-read mage by the ink-stained mage. Um, and uh, yeah, I, just, uh, I thought it was really fascinating how they built the gameplay around the concept of um, like depression and anxiety and mm-hmm. things like mental health. Um so yeah, very yeah. interesting. And and luckily for me, not too much has been spoiled besides just that little tidbit that you put right. in there. Um, That's sort of like the, the gimmick of the game, I right. guess you could say. And and I love the art style. Yeah. And you know, if I ever go into it, I'm, I'm glad I'll hopefully by then go into it a little bit for you know a little fresh, right? I don't know the story or yeah. characters. No, or I, I won't talk about that. So I don't really know it myself. Either. Yeah, but um. Yeah, and then you've got, of course, God of the War. Uh, God of the War. God of the War. God of War. Um, then you've got Marvel's Spider-Man. This one was a surprising choice to me mm. uh, to appear on a Game of the Year list is Monster Hunter World. Yeah, it is a bit surprising. But, you know, in a, in a way, it's, you know, not... I don't know. I, I I can really see it on there because it was really it was a really interesting game because I had never played a Monster Hunter before. Right. But um, this game, you know, was just so like you know we got so passionate about it, especially you know leading up to its release, and then finally being able to play it, you know alongside you guys. This is one of the f- very few games where um, I was playing it like alongside friends from the beginning. Um, where we would just talk about it even if we weren't playing together. Um, you know, uh, it, you know, it just it really rallied up um, this new, I'm uh, not new necessarily, but like a, a really big uh, community, um, really supportive community, and and uh, you know, so I I think people are still really passionate about. It. They're still releasing content, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, they were doing a Final Fantasy crossover, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, it's it's social aspect and. It's the amount of sales that it saw. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, are two things that that earn it a spot on this list. I think it sort of gets bland after a while. Yeah, um, like previous Monster Hunters that I've played, where it's like oh, I grind for gear again. Yeah, but um, but pretty dang cool game. Mm-hmm. I just don't think I think God of War is going to smash it in the face. Oh yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think yeah, God of <laughs> like I have not heard a single negative thing said about god of war ever yeah um this god of war particularly yeah uh and then red dead redemption 2 if you like watching a horse poop in in real time (laughs) there you go so you've got sort of like fantasy assassin's creed like the the series that's very like well founded then you've got the indie then you've got just like the art piece Mm -hmm. then you've got um everybody's favorite superhero then you've got this like blown out of the water huge sales uh monster hunter and then you've got like this ultra immersive super realistic people are just like red dead redemption 2 is so realistic and then i saw a guy racing his horse across like the roofs in this city (laughs) i was like okay (laughs) all right (laughs) but anyway uh yeah may the best game win 
I would probably vote for Celeste, um, but oh come on, <laughs> I would just be. I mean, yeah, it's cool to see an indie up there, and what I know about its game design. Well, you gotta because cool. otherwise, the only games I've played on here are Spider Man and Monster Hunter World, and to me, those are not GOT wise. Oh, okay. yeah, I yeah, I think yeah, Monster Hunter World gets a little bland eventually. Um, there's certainly a ton of content, but yeah. And then uh, Spider-Man I had issues with, obviously, too. Yeah. But yeah. Um, if I had played God of War, right. I'm sure that, yeah, mm-hmm. I would be like, but that's why I'm guessing it's going to win anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so your guess is? My guess is Red Dead Redemption 2. Okay. And my your vote is be, for God of War. Okay. I think your, your vote's going to count. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm just going to say that. Uh, I, I've heard some negative things about Red Dead Redemption too. Yeah, yeah, where people are like, "Friggin', I gotta ride my horse for an hour." <laughs> but hey, that immersion. So, anyways, getting back to our our subject at hand, the subject that we're not, or that yeah, the subject that we're talking about today is not Game of the Year 2018. Came out in 2017, and it is Cosmic Star Heroine. Um, this game was made by Ziboid Games. And what are some sort of uh, impressions and, and highlights when you, when you think about this game? What are some things that come to mind? Well, I mean, for me, this is like, I don't know, maybe the like uh, best game in, that I've played um, when it comes to um, like modern retro games done right. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it took me like... It took me a while to really understand why. I mean, like, I just instantly when I started it up, I felt immersed back in my childhood, and and you know, from beginning to end, it was it was just like I was playing as a kid, not as an adult, uh, reliving nostalgia. I was you know back to being you know playing how I used to, and and so uh, and with that same excitement and, and wonder, and and I. I it took me a while to figure out why I had no idea why it was so, you know, what set it apart from others that, you know, so many other indie games try to be really nostalgic, really classic, but then they don't quite hit you at that same way. Right. So, you know, it took me a while to kind of define it after I beat the game. And, uh, yeah. So. so now with that, why do you think, and this is, this is great. This is, this is something that I, uh, I sort of touched on when I wrote the review, my review for this game. Um, was it's extremely successful in that transportive manner where you feel like you really are not just playing a game from the 90s, but that you're playing it in the 90s. Right. Um, so that the game is not so much more than just uh, influenced by or evocative of, but it feels sort of timeless in that sense because there's a lot of modernity in this game too. Mm-hmm. Um to where you feel like, okay, this is an improvement on things that were done in the 90s or innovated in the 90s. But um, at the same time, it feels very much like it belongs in the classic era. Um, So when I was thinking about writing on this game, I was trying to think about buzzwords and uh, flavor terms that are used in the industry today. Um, You see retro throwback a lot, Mm -hmm. uh, pixel art a lot. Yeah. Um, things like that, that, um, you know, you'll see classic Classic, a lot too, but it's like, what do those words actually mean? Like, what does classic mean? Yeah. That's going to mean something different to different people. Right. Yep. Um, cause like, let's say you're 15 years old, classic to you is going to be like what? Late two thousands at best, you know? Right. Um, 
but classic to us, we're in our early 30s. Mm-hmm. That's going to be late 80s, early 90s, or mid 90s up until the 2000s and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but retro throwback, I think that a lot of games like you're touching on, a lot of indies try to grasp at those ideas, typically in, in terms of visuals. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you've played a ton of retro throwback right, indies. Yeah that um, nail sort of the pixel visuals. Yeah. But when you play them, you find out there's not a lot of substance there that evokes that era. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, that, like, you're right, that is something that's special about this game in that its structure, its design uh, is deliberately um, 90s-esque. Yeah. And, you know, like, and, and I want to make, like, a little distinguishment to that I just thought of right now. Um uh, like there's, there seem there seems to be like, uh, the when when it comes to like the pixel art, the aesthetic, um, kind of having a resurgence nowadays. I think, uh, it kind of split off now to where there's those that are trying to really hit on nostalgia and and make it feel like you're playing a game from the '90s, and then there's those that are taking that same aesthetic but just um, but really modernizing it, really making it. Um, something accessible now. They're not really trying to make you feel like it's a game from the 90s, just, uh, but they're they're just exploring a new, uh, you know, a, a a style of art that's kind of been put on the shelves for a few right. years and seeing where you can go with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Hyperlight Drifter is a game that exactly. comes to mind yep. for that. It doesn't particularly feel like a game from the nineties because it's so fast paced, mm-hmm. um, but definitely has a style of visuals that they try to evolve in a yeah. very successful way. Yep. A third category I would add to your distinguisher there then is um, a game that tries to capitalize mm-hmm. on uh, the nostalgia renaissance, mm-hmm. but that's all they do. Yeah. Is sort of like trying to just through buzzwords attract an audience. Mm-hmm. So, so the, like the retro gaming audience is weird to define. Mm-hmm. Um Nobody really knows how many how many numbers there are there. Um, I admit that I'm uh, I'm sort of a fence walker when it comes to it okay. because like I've kept uh, almost all my old stuff, so it's just natural for me to play retro gaming. Mm-hmm. Now I know a lot of retro gamers who are distinctly I only play retro games and don't own a modern console, mm-hmm. um, so I do both. Um, I know a lot of people who play only modern stuff and have either, um, you know, like got just pure gotten rid of their old stuff or have done trade-ins in order to get to the modern era. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's weird when I talk to some retro gamers that are very uh, anti-modern mm-hmm. um, or resistant toward the modern, yeah. um, which is easy to do because yeah. we're all sectarian right. to an extent yeah. <laughs> as soon as you attach... As soon as you attach you a put name, that label on, yeah, right. Uh, as soon as you get a banner to mm-hmm. fly, then you're going to fly that banner as oh, hard yeah. as you can because that's human nature, <laughs> yeah, right? right. Um, so yeah, but what's cool then is that Cosmic Star Heroin to co- sort of bring this back because I was rambling a little bit there. <laughs> mm. um, Cosmic Star Heroin sort of uh, hits that sweet spot right in the middle mm-hmm. where it's not explicitly for people who want to relive those past experiences, although it could be for them, but it's not just for them. Uh, It's also for people who didn't grow up with that Mm -hmm. and want to to experience it for the first time, Mm -hmm. but it's not just for them. 
and then it's also for people who just want to play a good game, yeah. regardless of of whatever, um, you know, their, wherever their duties lie. Yeah, yeah, and it, I don't know what the sales numbers are. I mean, I hope they're great um, because I would love to see Cosmic Star Heroine two or something just made by them again that uh, is within the same kind of RPG vein. But um, you know, I, I, it, it seems like they, they really uh, hit a good audi- uh, a, a broad audience. Um, you know, they, they. I would imagine, you know, would uh, satisfy both of those camps, the people that are, um, that are, you know, newer um, to uh, the retro gaming that are younger. And then those that have played it back then, you know, so they, you know, they, they have a bit more of that accessibility, but still really given those um, old school vibes that uh, I mean, are just spot on. So, Um, I mean, you know, I was trying to think like, what, how do you, how do you you know how do you quantify um that retro like feel and how do you like i mean like if you're like to teach a seminar on like oh does that make a retro game i would love know. to teach that <laughs> seminar yeah. as soon as you said that i was like i would love to do that <laughs> you know it would be hard to like i mean because you know if somebody were listening and then they applied all these things they could come out with something that just totally sucks and doesn't you know hit the mark because there's just some undefinable quality that that determines whether you really nailed it or or you're just copying it and this game i feel like um was the only way i could say is like a natural like progression from like as if they you know because that that genre you know died out in in a sense uh at least for a while and it's kind of uh, bring bought back but you know it's it's a you know kind of a left behind genre which genre are you speaking of? Um, JRPG. Yeah. Well, like JRPG. Yeah. 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 And but 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 not necessarily. I mean, because we it still con- uh, continues nowadays. But the old school JRPG. Right. Yeah. And uh, but yeah. So I mean, it feels like they they just uh, took that point in time where you know it seemed to die or it was like in its golden age. You know. Um, you know, maybe like uh, uh, Chrono Trigger. Um, and, you know, some of the earlier, you know, Final Fantasies, Final Fantasy, you know, six, um, four, and, uh, you know, uh, and just evolved, you know, uh, the, the next stage of that, you know, like as if they were already, they were back in that time and they were thinking, and, and they were just a rival company and, uh, thinking what, what they can do to compete with their, those competitors mm-hmm. rather than having, you know, always, uh, rather than referencing those, uh, com- competing titles and saying, oh, we're just like these guys, you know, you know, like that's what a lot of the marketing around retro games nowadays is, is like, yes. we're just like, you know, uh, Final Fantasy or like Zelda or, you know, um, you know, you know, and, you know, and there was a little bit of like, oh, uh, you know, this is similar to Chrono Trigger, but, you know, that wasn't like what it stood on. It wasn't like it, the, the shoulders, you know, like the crux of it all. Right. It was just like, I mean, you know, it's natural for humans just to make those, those comparisons mm-hmm. to, you know, it's an easy way to, to convey something that's really complex and deep, uh, you know, in a short amount of time. So yeah, through association. Right. Exactly. Right, yeah. So, you know, that, I can see why, you know, there'd be a little of that, but it, it didn't, you know, it, it didn't, uh, rest on that to be successful. And so I feel like this could have come out, you know, like, you know, a year after Chrono Trigger did, and it was, you know, maybe on the Sega Genesis or maybe it was another Nintendo title and, it, you know, it was just uh, meant to compete with them. And, you know, so 
Yeah. Yeah. So it felt like, you know, you would be uh, sifting through blockbuster, you know, uh, <laughs> shelves, you know, for the next game to rent. And, you know, you would see this game, you know, even the cover art on there, you know, looks like something back from the 90s. Yeah. No, definitely. That's a that's a bunch of good points there. Um, lots of things to unpack. That's an interesting phrasing there that I hadn't really heard before about this game, that it feels like it's not so much a copycat as it is something that you would expect to, as a rival from that era. Mm-hmm. Um, I dig that, because that, that seems very genuine um, toward this game. A question I wrote down is what makes it so evocative of the games of yesteryear? So to sort of unpack the thoughts that you just put forward just now, um, I guess one of the first things we could touch on is uh, the JRPG. Mm -hmm. So this is something that uh, I talked about before, I think on this podcast and on other podcasts, um, about what a JRPG is, what sort of makes it special. So I don't want to like run over all that ground again. Um, But you mentioned how JRPGs as a genre or subgenre, however you want to delineate it, um, that they were different back then uh, than toward today. Uh, Today, it seems like the JRPG is much, much more on the back burner. Um, Whereas back in the day, the JRPG was like the big title. Oh yeah, those were the triple A's, and nowadays they're they're more like double A's, you know, yeah. best. Um, yeah. Well, uh, well, gosh, what was that that game? Uh, a near automata, right? Yeah, uh, is a JRPG, right? Uh, is it a hack and slash? I mean, yeah, it's hack and slash, but game, with gameplay, but RPG elements, right? Yeah. Okay. Um. So probably the newest jrpg that i played was xenoblade chronicles 2 mm. um, which to me seems very much what jrpgs mm. are like today just a bunch of multi-haired characters screaming words mm. at the, yeah you know, like but very long convoluted storylines which sort of i guess hasn't changed too much since um since the 90s but uh a lot of emphasis on anime Right. A lot. And there's so much baggage that comes with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> and it's it's gone the same way of anime um, where it's just almost a parody of, of itself. You See, know? no, I don't watch, I don't watch anime anymore. Uh-huh. Um, except for Cowboy Bebop once a year. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah. that's about it. Do you still watch anime? Um, uh, yeah. I'm yeah, not like a lot. And it's only like select ones um, that, that really seem unique nowadays. Um, but you know, like I have uh, a Funimation subscription, um, and you know there there are some really good titles on there. A lot of them were from the past, but uh, but you know you see a lot of just anime that comes out that it, I mean it, it's just cookie cutter. I mean, like you could right. just uh, you know cut and paste any character and just put them together in this right. random situation. Yeah, and, see what and I'm not saying that like anime is the only. Um, kind of entertainment that does that certainly like oh yeah i mean american blockbuster films do that constantly yeah which is aggravating about them but that's why i don't go and watch you know like every movie that comes out yeah but there's always those gems and uh right um but you know yeah games uh the jrpgs as we're you know that those have also you know gone similarly where the ones that have been able to persist through the years um you know that are some of them may not even come to america but uh you know they're they also just kind of are parroting what they what you know they used to do in back in the 90s and there's like 
but not really trying to reinvent themselves or, or just, you know, evolve or anything like that. Yeah. Um, one thing that I really appreciate, and I don't think this works today. Um, so like games in the West, RPGs, especially in the West, um, are massive, multiple hour RPGs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think that works with JRPGs. I don't. Mm. Um, I think, well, personally, I find it grating to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the manageable, the digestible, the, the, uh, perfect package of jrpgs of the past were that they you could finish them within a decent period of time mm-hmm. you know 20 30 40 hours and you're done mm-hmm. um so it wasn't so so it wasn't so long right um and they were able to use the game as a vehicle to tell a, a story that had a beginning and an end in some cases multiple ends mm-hmm. in chrono trigger um but it seemed like a much more seamless kind of game to play because you could start it and you could finish it. Yeah. Um, whereas today it seems like a lot of big games like that, you can stay and you're, you can play it and they invite you to stay in the world yeah. for too long. Yep. Uh, there's too much, there's too much grinding. There's too much side quests, too much filler, mm-hmm. you know, um, where I just don't think a lot of that needs to be there. Uh, maybe, in the next decade, maybe in the 2020s, we'll see a, a kind of a return to leanness mm-hmm. in game design. I don't think every game needs to be lean, mm-hmm. um, but certainly games that are that huge need to have good reason, yeah. I think, to be that huge. Yeah, I think that's what you know. You lose a bit of um, with those open world RPGs. You know, um, they they uh, they 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 just don't have that. Um, uh, what's the word like a force of impact yeah, yeah yeah they don't have that you know that drive to to get you um to keep you going forward so right. eventually it'll launch you but then you just get you just get bogged down with all this right resistance. it's sort of like the the drive there is to just experience as much of that world as possible mm-hmm. but that's not the same thing as being driven to finish a right. story yeah i mean because you could tell the game designers they want you they they need you to explore this world <laughs> and spend time in it you know yeah. so it's like and so they're gonna do every you know underhanded tactic to try to i mean you know to try to get you there uh and keep you there um but you know it's just so disingenuous that you don't it's just like i don't want to be doing this but you know there's a part of there's an impulse in me as a human to maybe try to be you know or maybe as a completionist to try to do all these different things but i don't really like want to like you know it doesn't i don't have that perfect example of what you're talking about xenoblade chronicles 2 um, had this system in battle where you attached blades, which were these living weapons, to your characters, sexy anime characters, essentially. Mm-hmm. Think that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> attached to your characters. Um, and uh, they would give you different abilities to attack and things like that. There was like a time-based sort of triggering of different abilities, and you could combine them. It was fairly complex, and I think that was the interesting part of it. But... Uh, there were multiple blades to collect in the game. At first, I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, and I got hooked on trying to find as many blades as possible. Unfortunately, uh, the way that you found most of the blades in the game was through a random loot box style mm-hmm. process mm-hmm. where you would find a crystal, attach the crystal to somebody, it would open up, and a blade would pop out. Now, you could just get common blades from that, though. Yeah. Uh, so it <laughs> felt like... It felt like you were just like I would pop a hundred crystals and get like maybe you know a handful of uncommon or rare blades, mm-hmm. and then just be stuck with all these commons and I'm like gotta delete it. It felt like a trading card game or you know just any other abusive 
it's sort of stereotypical to complain about loot boxes, I guess, but there was one specific instance where I didn't like it. I didn't, I don't have a ton of experience with loot boxes, but that was one experience where the style of that content, yeah, where it was so randomized. And then I read too, that it increased, um, the, uh, or the probability of getting a rare blade decreased oh, yeah. the more co- that you collected. Really? I was like, that stinks. Oh, like, man. I played over 100 hours on that game, and I didn't even get all the blades. Uh, so, And I spent like a week grinding for blades. Too. Yeah. So, yeah, that was just a weird... You know, and there, there's, I think that there's a huge increase, you know, in the gaming industry to um, employ those compulsory tactics. Um you know, loot boxes obviously is a big one, but, and, you know, you see it, especially in mobile games, but, you know, you see it in, you know, creeping a lot into, um, a lot of the, uh, console games nowadays where, you know, it's, it tests your patience. So, you know, if it's like, you know, you, you could, uh, do all this, you know, you know, uh, max out on this, you know, if you spend a hundred hour, you know, every waking moment of your life, mm-hmm. you know, on this, but, you know, why don't you just, you know, uh, pay ten dollars here and then we'll just uh you know we'll boost you over there so you know there's a lot of a lot of different tactics that they use to uh try to get squeeze as much money out of you as they can and uh you know it, part of it is the cost of games part of mm-hmm. it's maybe shareholders you know um but you know it's it, it's not it's not the way i want to see the industry going right it's um, sort of like to create so you think of games and this kind of hinges back into what we were talking about so when you bought final fantasy 4 Mm-hmm. When you bought Final Fantasy VI, you were buying a complete game. Yeah, you were buying everything that was already ever going to be in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, now, given that uh, patches are a good thing to an extent, I think mm-hmm. um, it's kind of silly when you like you buy a new game and they're like, "Oh, here's a two billion gig patch." Uh-huh. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I, if a game's broken and it can be fixed, that's good. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and uh, games in the past had broken features as well. I mm-hmm. mean, there's glitches in Final Fantasy VI and yeah, and uh, and so on. But uh, a lot of those things are fun to discover right. or to like abuse to in yeah, some it's instances. Like a metagame. Right, exactly. <laughs> but um, the point being though that uh, you would buy the game and it'd be complete. But I think today there's a um production value in games as a platform for continued mm-hmm. income for the studio, the developer, the, the um, publisher, whatever. Yeah. Um, so that a game publishes, but then it can continue to earn money from the player beyond just the initial purchase. Yeah. Um, which is a valuable business model mm-hmm. because obviously then your game has that much more of value that you can get out of it. And like you said, given how expensive games are, mm-hmm. especially the big ones. Yeah. The AAA, yeah. yeah. Um, the triple A's are hugely expensive and they take years and, yeah, and it's huge risk. Huge right. Risk. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is why we get into all sorts of things about triple A's fitting into a certain category of gameplay and including a lot of the same things mm-hmm. because then that's, that's sort of a guaranteed return. Yeah. So like with Spider-Man, yeah, Spider-Man didn't really take a lot of risks, mm-hmm. but it didn't, it shouldn't. Right. Right. Because, yeah. They needed to make money off yeah. of Spider-Man. Yeah, so you have you know, you form, formulas and stuff like that. They help mitigate risk, um, right. as is like uh, some of those other business models that we mentioned, loot boxes and uh, microtransactions. They mitigate risk 
and that helps shareholders, you know, be okay with uh, going forward with the project instead of canceling right. it. Um, you know, which you know, so it's it's a it's a cycle, and sometimes you do get some good ones in there that it's like you know, I wouldn't mind paying more money for right. extra now, content. So, yeah, and that's a good point. This this doesn't necessarily it can really come off as a especially if we're talking about retro games, it can really come off as a like an old guard kind of a uh-huh. like this you know everything about modern gaming is trash and stuff like that. But that's I don't think we're talking in terms of quality, right? Right. We're talking in terms just of business practice. Mm-hmm. So we're not saying that um, you know all business practices are great or all business practices are wrong. And we're not saying that games that use these practices that don't take risks or that rely on formula are bad. Like you have to judge each game individually, mm-hmm. right? So just because it uses certain things doesn't necessarily mean mm-hmm. that it's going to be a certain way. Yeah. Um, f- across the board for all games. Yeah. Okay. To yeah. Get that and clarified. and and then just uh, one one little last example. I know um, it probably got us a little bit off topic, but no, this is good. <laughs> Forget but, topics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what are we talking yeah. about? What game? No. Uh, yeah. This is a No Man's Sky podcast, right? No. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to bring it up again. Um, <laughs> you know, because No Man's Sky is a um, a really great example of. Uh, I mean, and, it, and it's and I love to see it on this uh, category of you know uh, you know best uh, was it continuing games or, or something like that. Um, but you know, it's uh, they they are constantly releasing new content that is expanding it. You know, uh, and and it's free. But the thing is, like for me, I would I would more than one hundred percent be pay, you know be willing to pay for some of this content. You know what I mean? It's like it's like I don't want you guys to run out of money. I want you guys to keep supporting this game you know so well it seems like in the instance of no man's sky those things are actually selling the game because a lot of people with had beef with no man's sky when it first released Uh and now it seems the game has really become a different kind of game yeah i haven't played it myself but that's been my impression as more and more content is rolling out i was like oh that seems to really change the kind of gameplay the kind of um, experience that you get from this game, yeah. Which so it seems like every time they roll that out, I bet they get a boost in sales. Yeah, I would imagine so. Right, yeah. because people are who were like, "Well, that's an intriguing concept, but I'm not sure." Yeah. Um, but then they roll out these, you know, updates, mm-hmm. and people are like, "That's a cool idea. I want to mm-hmm. get in on that." Mm-hmm. So that's what I would imagine happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Because it certainly made it more appealing to me yeah. over time. And you know, and 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 there's there's a little bit of diminishing returns there because the the cost of the game and the price of the game is is uh, you know it shrinks over time, um, and then you know you're also going to attract less people, so it it uh, does lower a little bit your incentive to continue to produce free content, right? Um, for like years and years, but yeah. um, but I mean overall, I mean yeah, that you're you're very 100 percent right there. Um, I mean especially with some of the really large uh, updates like uh, Waking Titan and. Um, and, uh, the No Man's Sky next when it launched on Xbox, you know, uh, you know, a really good, uh, next new flood of, uh, players in there. So, um, but you know, my point was that, you know, uh, I, I, you know, there are, I think having, um, additional content that you can buy, um, is, you know, perfectly valuable, good if, if you, you know, really put your passion and, and value into it and make it valuable for the customer where they want it, you know, as opposed to feel compulsed to buy it because just to keep up or, right. or just to overcome some, 
you know, uh, natural tendency to yeah. be completionist or yeah. in that patience. instance, it's changing the game for the better. Yeah. yeah. So that's a perfectly viable use of that model mm-hmm. to be able to update this game, make it more palatable. Yeah. And so on, so yeah. Forth. And so for me, like I, w- I would love to see this game continue for years and years. So yeah. it's like, you know, eventually I like to see some, you know, DLC that, you know, if, if, if money becomes an issue, you know, for them to put something like a paid DLC uh, so they can continue rather than just uh, having it fall off because it's not uh, their free content isn't pushing as many sales anymore. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So coming back to Cosmic Star, yeah. um, I think the thing that we were hitting on with that was its length. Mm-hmm. It's it's lin- not linearity. Uh, that's not the right word. It's... Um, it's manageable storyline mm-hmm. um, to where it's not a game where you pick it up and you're going to spend so long of a time in it. Um, I can't remember exactly how long it took me to beat, but it wasn't long at no, all. No, right. Um, which felt really refreshing, actually, because most games that I'll pick up today, you know, I'm like, well, there goes my next two months. Yeah. You know, but sometimes you just want to have an experience like that mm-hmm. um, without necessarily playing a game from the 90s, but mm-hmm. uh, something that feels that, uh, I hate to keep using the term manageable, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, <laughs> but that's what it is. It feels like something that you can tackle in a decent amount of time and not get bogged down in doing all kinds of busy work. Yeah. Um, so that was something that I really appreciated about it. And I think it was something that uh, was really evocative of of the games of yesteryear um another thing certainly was the gameplay um how it funneled you into situations where the storyline prescribed which characters you had to use Mm -hmm. um and that certainly employed a different area of strategy Mm -hmm. so another game we reference a lot fortunately or unfortunately is final fantasy 15 Uh right um games like that start you off with your base set of characters Mm -hmm. and then that's it um, also, it seems like a lot of RPGs have moved into um, where every character is so customizable to the point of not having any distinctness to themselves yeah. beyond sort of their personality and what they contribute to the story. Yeah. Um, the cool thing about Cosmic Star, then, is that uh, it's a very traditional old school kind of yeah. game where each character has an elemental affinity mm-hmm. uh, and a set... Uh, amount of uh, spells or abilities or attacks that um, they have to stick with. So you can't turn Dave into Alyssa. Yeah. You can't turn Saib into Orson. Mm-hmm. Like you have to figure out how to use these characters in interesting combinations that'll work for you. Um, and the game's quite hard at some oh, points. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah for I, sure. I, I like died and I was like, what the? Yeah. Like, excuse you. I've been playing <laughs> games like this since I was a wee lad. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, oh, and getting my butt handed to me was like, was refreshing too, in a oh, sense, yeah. because it was saying to me, every time you get a game over, the game is telling you something. It's telling you that you failed it. You failed at its puzzle. Mm-hmm. You made a misstep. Uh, it could be the game's fault, and that's the worst thing. Yeah. Right. If yeah. the game has terrible design and then you get a game over them that's like that's your fault game yeah (laughs) but uh i didn't feel that way when i played cosmic star i felt like that was my mistake yeah Uh, i I should have thought better about how to design my team or better uh utilize the team that i had absolutely yeah i mean it was uh that's what i loved about the game is it was so tight especially i mean like even just the normal difficulty which i played it on 
Um, oh gosh, because it had multiple difficulties, right? Oh, I forgot man, about the hardest that. one was I. You know, I had to play a little bit just to get the the trophy for that one, um, and it was brutal. I was like, oh man, I'm not even no way, attempting yeah. this thing yet. <laughs> <laughs> like you have to like get every single little thing right, but even just the normal, like it really emphasized. Like I mean, there's there's a a lot less a lot less uh, margin for error, um, which was you know you know kind of key back you know the, the, you would you would experience a little bit more of that back in the, the old, old rpgs and uh but you know especially with this one you you can um uh yeah, yeah like you said you had to get uh the right party makeup you had you just basically couldn't really waste moves you, you had right. to utilize every turn you had because it, things would ramp up you know as time went on mm. in the game which i really love that design as well yeah so a couple of things there just so for people who haven't played this mm-hmm. You're referring to a uh, an aspect of the gameplay. Um, I'm sure neither of us remember specifically what it's called. Uh, was you? it uh, sty- style or Maybe something it like was that? Style, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, where damage increased over time. Yeah. Right from your enemies and from yourself too, unless you spent your style points mm-hmm. uh, on big moves and things like that. Yeah. So there's that. Another thing was um, you could only use – this was really interesting. You could only use a character's ability once, mm-hmm. and then it deactivated. And the way to reactivate that was to defend. Yeah. So you had to really time yep. not just uh, the order of your moves, mm-hmm. but you had to time um, – when to defend and recharge them yeah and it was almost like you had to build a deck of your moves that you're going to do for your your turn you know like you, like this person's move would play off of this person's move and this one would cover this one while this one defends and right you know so you it would all you had to think not just of what do i want to do for this person's move for this turn you would have to think you know five steps ahead to see what how it would play out um in your minds and right. then uh and then you know that that's where you lose and you have to keep repeating over to try to find that perfect formula yeah and it oh that felt so good oh yeah, yeah it was amazing <laughs> when it worked oh yeah too um when a game makes you do hard work like that mm-hmm. not busy work but makes you think mm-hmm. and then you win then you feel a real good sense of accomplishment from that yep um oh gosh what was i gonna say so now today, um, ARPGs are really popular, action RPGs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what what helps me think about uh, why Cosmic Star feels so placed within that era from the past is it feels more like a board game rather than uh, watching a movie, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of RPGs today. Um, or play like hack and slashes where you could even in some cases, well, in Final Fantasy 15, mm-hmm. just mash a button or even hold down a button to beat a battle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it looks real awesome. It looks like the action movie that you wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's places for that. But yeah. we're making, again, we're making a distinction here. Um, so I think that, I think I remarked to you when I was playing Cosmic Star that it felt like chess. It felt like an mm-hmm. advanced form of chess where there were more rules on top of each different piece, but it really felt like you had to know the pieces that you had. You had to know what they were good at and you had to really try to define what each role was going to be. Yeah. And there was some fluctuation within that. Yeah, like yeah. you could use... Uh, one character is your prime healer, mm-hmm. you know, or you could use a different character as your prime healer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I typically used uh, Alyssa's prime uh, damage dealer. Mm-hmm. I used Chon a lot for healing. Um, and then, uh, so like, what were some of your favorite characters? There was Alyssa, Chon, Dave. 
Yeah, for for the most uh, part, I had uh, I think it was the starting four um, for a lot because um, uh, you know Alyssa, yeah, was really good. Really, uh, I mean, as most uh, heroes in the or heroines in the game, um, there's uh, they're the most versatile. You know, they have so she has good damage, but she also has the healing. But then you know, um, uh, Dave, he's the uh, the tech guy, right? Yeah, he was almost like a saboteur in the Final yeah. Fantasy Thirteen sense, like a debuffer. Yeah, so he he had some really interesting ones. Like there wasn't a lot, like uh, not all of his uh, skills were useful, but uh, mm-hmm. there were some pretty pretty good ones. Um, and then, uh, um, Chan, I guess uh, pronounce her name. Uh, she. Um, I used her quite a quite a bit, even though I always it was always a little awkward. I, I couldn't find the perfect strategy for her, but I, I always tried to use her because um, she did have some really uh, good moves. Yeah, she had the cool. What I did with her a lot was the ability that lets her guns affect all enemies. Yeah, and then I or all targets, right. I guess. And then I would uh, I would either depending on the place in the battle, typically early battle, I mm-hmm. would use her flare gun yeah and target all enemies and then if i was mid battle then that was cool that you could switch it to healing mm-hmm. if you needed to and then she had that repeat i think it was called recoil yeah where she could repeat the same um attack. the same attack uh-huh. so it's like extra damage at the beginning or mid battle if you're really hurting for that healing yeah you could use it again the next round yeah so that yeah that was um useful and it, so i always had to kind of change her strategy you know throughout the game to fit that party and then you know sue uh was he was a really cool character um and uh, I mean, he was a powerhouse, and just uh, his uh, what was it the um, uh, the counter attack move uh, mm-hmm. that was uh, you know really good. Um, you know, I mean, you just get a bunch of free hits, and you know, yeah. So, um, but you know, um, and then oh, and then he also had one killer one too that you would uh, that you would use to just do a ton of damage, and I think it might have knocked him out. I can't remember, but or something. Or yeah, it was like a self destruct kind of a thing, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, that that was. Uh, pretty useful later on um we could just fin- finish off a boss fight with that yeah but uh but then later on um you know i ended up getting uh of you know getting a really good uh almost a i don't know it felt kind of cheap i guess but um strategy <laughs> going with uh that uh was it Saibe? Saibe, um, yeah uh you know where um you could just uh um, spam like the AOE uh, heal and and damage, and I mean you could just keep going and going. And I, I can't even, I can't remember exactly what the um, what the strategy was, but I mean, uh, yeah, you, you basically didn't have to worry too much uh, once you got him in the party. Yeah, um, your favorite character, I think you said at one point was Sue, right? Um, it, um or do you remember? Sue was one of those characters that was just like so cool. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's like really for sure, cool. yeah, one of the top ones. I can't yeah. remember if, yeah, he might. I, I don't know. I think, yeah, I think I did end up saying he was my favorite. Um, him and then Chan was pretty cool too. Yeah, um, as a character, but yeah, yeah, I really liked. Um, so a couple of other characters were Lauren, that was the uh, singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Finn was the police officer. Uh, Arit or Arete, I don't know how yeah, you pronounce know. it because this is again <laughs> evocative of the 90s before yep. everything had voice acting, um, which is great because I would much rather have to read than this game have crappy voice oh, acting. Oh, yeah, there's so no. many games where I'm like this game has terrible voice acting. Why'd they even do that? <laughs> like, just make you read that's so much better. You can imagine the voices. Um, then there was Clark, uh, the dancing robot, which I expected to like more than I actually did. Yeah, um. It was kind of just one note. And then there's yeah. Saib. Orson was cool. 
mm-hmm. was like that detective guy. Yeah. Um, and then my favorite character by far was, uh, <laughs> however you pronounce it. Zorv. Yeah. It's Z apostrophe X O R V <laughs> Zorv. Uh, he was the intergalactic bounty hunter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He was really cool. Um, but for me, I don't know if I was just doing something wrong. I didn't, uh, it was near the end of the game. I think when you get him, So I, I yeah. just kind of had my party set. I was like, I didn't want to fiddle too much. Um, but uh, I had a hard time getting the Mac. Like, I mean, he seemed like he was going to be a really good damage dealer. Mm-hmm. Um, but then whenever in practice I would use him, it didn't really seem. Yeah, maybe. Uh, so the way that I thought of Zorv was as a glass hammer. Okay. He could hit extremely hard, uh-huh. but his, you know, at the cost of his either HP or defense or, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I treated him as such. The the longer the battle went on, mm-hmm. um. I would just make sure he kept doing more and more damage. And mm. if he'd pass out, try and revive him. He had an auto revive, I think, too. Oh, yeah. Um, but he could really churn out the damage. Mm. But you kind of had to be okay with him dying Yeah. at the same time. So <laughs> if you played it a little safe, then yeah. uh, like with all the other characters, you're sort of trained that way. And like you said, Zorv is a, sort of a late game character, mm-hmm. even though he pops up maybe like twice um, throughout the storyline mm-hmm. before that. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it seemed like you had to consciously be like, well, if you're going to die, at least do like straight nines. You know? yeah. <laughs> at least do like a ton of damage <laughs> yep. before you kick the bucket. Um, yeah, so he was he was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. I just like the look of him. Oh, and yeah. like, of course, the idea of an intergalactic bounty hunter that's like yep. an alien. I guess freaking like you look like Piccolo and like a UFO <laughs> combined. <laughs> it just looks like super cool. Um but yeah, lots of this game had a huge cast. Oh yeah, and that was something. So this reminded me of Final Fantasy IV. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Four had a really, really, really big cast. Mm-hmm. Um, before uh, Final Fantasy casts been getting smaller. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it seems like it. Huh? That just uh, dawned on me. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> I mean, we're so, done with four now. Yeah. And there you go. Uh, Anyways, um, and the MMO you were telling me earlier in eleven, you only played as one character. Yeah, so yeah. there you go. Um, anyways, it's <laughs> <just> a weird <laughs> thought. Um, but yeah, Final Fantasy IV had a pretty big cast mm-hmm. that the game forced you to um, ditch at certain points. Not yeah. that you could choose, but it was just like, like you know, Sid jumps off the airship, or the twins were like, "Well, we're going to stop this," mm-hmm. um, and things would happen that constrain you into using a certain combination of characters mm-hmm. i like that and i wish that rpgs would do it more again mm-hmm. because it, again it forces you to think in situations to where you're you're not comfortable using this character yeah maybe they're not your favorite character so like in in places in cosmic star um so you mentioned zorv was a late game character so you could kind of choose not to use him mm-hmm. but there were like maybe i think it was two or three times yeah where you had to right mm-hmm. Um, and then there were a couple of characters that I didn't care for, like Arit and Finn. Yeah. Um, I was like, I don't care. Um, but the game forces you to use them anyway. Mm-hmm. And then you have to be smart about their abilities. You have to get accustomed to their abilities or you're going to lose. Yeah. You know, cause like we said, the game was pretty hard. Um, and that's all stuff that I find real fascinating. Yeah. Cause that sort of gets you to think outside of your box, outside of your comfort zone in unique ways. Yeah, and then uh, for me, the one that stuck out to me the most was um, Clark. His was, I don't know, just seemed a little prolonged, um, and yet, and I, he was a really different character, and you had to 
really adjust the way you, you did your um, your play style. To he was him. the dancer, right? Yeah. So he was kind of like a bard. Right? He was like a bard, yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, so you know, those kind of characters are always a little hard to to work in. You know, well, think I mean, about it. I mean, like if you have the choice between <laughs> damage dealers and healers and a bard, yeah, you're not gonna choose the bard, right? Yeah. yeah. And then you know, you have the added thing where you know he can self destruct, and and then I don't know, he had some really weird moves, yeah. So uh, and then you had to use him for quite a while, escaping out of uh, out of jail. I think it was. So, anyways, uh, yeah. But um, yeah, to your point though, yeah, just having each. I think each character, yeah, had a a point when when they when you first got them where you had to use them, and um, you know, and it was really neat to be able to at least you know understand them enough to where uh, you feel like they're a character they're a part of your party like they're 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 not just you know another throwaway you know person lost in the crowd they're right um you've played them enough to where um you understand their nuances and and all that and they have personality that comes through in gameplay so um yeah yeah so they didn't just seem like a footnote in the story mm-hmm. like the so their story effect might have been minimal but the gameplay forces you to have to think about them yeah even though you might not have normally um, there's a quote here that I liked. This is from uh, Sternberg. Not sure I pronounced that correctly. Sorry if you're listening. Um, <laughs> of Zeboid Games, he said, "I'd say that a big point for us early on was pacing. Uh, we know that some of the games in the Japanese style RPG genre have of late tended to have a lot of filler or areas of the game that drag, especially back when we conceptualized Cosmic Star Heroine many years ago." What we wanted to do was look back at smaller scale classic RPGs that have stood the test of time and ask ourselves why they felt like they held up over the years. Pacing was a crucial aspect of this. Less grind, less filler, less wasted time for the player was our goal, but not just in a way that keeps the player moving, but also to place areas of break time between tough or long dungeons give the player a break to explore or indulge in some story or world building or gear up before bigger or longer dungeons. Mm-hmm. Now he was making that, um, that, uh, that claim in, yeah, it was on an article on uh, Gama Sutra. Mm-hmm. Um, but specifically in a section there where he was talking about Chrono Trigger. Um, yeah. And I gotta say that, that description or that, that, uh, um, uh, approach is beautiful. I mean, that's uh, yeah, certainly that's golden. I mean, yeah. Uh, if, yeah. Well, you remember way back when we started this podcast, way back a couple months ago, not that long ago, mm-hmm. but and we were talking <laughs> about journey and we we're specifically talking about the design philosophy of less is more. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it really does think like a lot of games are saying to you, Hey, more is more. Yeah. But no, it's like, I don't want to just do the same thing essentially a million times and you're just reskinning it. Mm-hmm. Um, I want you to give me content, uh, that's worthwhile, uh, that feels like it's worthwhile in terms of pacing. Nobody really talks about pacing too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes you'll play a game. I mean, you play a lot of games. I play a lot of games. I'm mm-hmm. sure you know what we're talking about. Uh, sometimes you'll play a game and you're just like, this game is a drag. Oh, like yeah. it just, it goes on and on and on and you're not getting anywhere. And you're like, your character's like, Hey, if we just get to that next town, then all our problems will be solved. And you get there 
And then they're like, you know, like some maiden hits you in the face and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. My son ran away. <laughs> you're like, well, I don't care because I'm here to save the world. Yeah. And they're like, no, please, my son, my son. And you have to like <laughs> chase off of this, this brat, you know, it takes you to a cave and you got to fight a giant boss. Yeah. And yeah, so that or I like what he was saying as well in terms of giving the player breaks, mm-hmm. giving you a breathing point. Mm-hmm. Games like film, uh, they've got to breathe. Yeah. They have to allow you to have time to relax, to ease into a situation. Mm-hmm. That was something particularly with Final Fantasy thirteen that I had some bones with um, about the linearity. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly, people have come to the defense of thirteen mm-hmm. as well they should in various areas. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the linearity, by comparing it to the linearity of previous uh, Final Fantasies. Mm. So I don't know if you've heard this. Um, the linearity in Final Fantasy thirteen is not unprecedented because Final Fantasy X was very linear. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, do you remember those games enough? To, like, well, no, I definitely yeah. remember ten. I love yeah. that game, but it's—I it, mean, it definitely didn't feel like thirteen. Right. So there's so ten still had breathing points. Yeah, it did. Right. Um, you're reaching Luca for the first time. Um, even to you would go to the Miihan High Road, and there would be places to stop. Mm-hmm. There would be places to like, oh, here you can do a bunch of chocobo stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important for games to allow the player to have time to stop and explore, even if it's just within a little sphere, mm-hmm. not too much. Yeah. Because then again, you're getting into the abuse of the open world structure to yeah. where it's like okay, now you can have a breather for 100 hours. Yeah. It's like, that's not exactly the same thing. Yeah. You know, if there's going to be a linear story that's that's story heavy, mm-hmm. um, then you've got to have some pacing for it. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, Cosmic Star felt real great. There were times when um, I felt I didn't want to do side quest stuff, um, and that was okay. Mm-hmm. It didn't, you know, I didn't feel like I missed out on anything. Yeah. I didn't feel like I was under-equipped or something like that. Um but I felt like the pacing in Cosmic Star was real good. Yeah, and you know, a modern example—not um, to go too far off the path—but I that just came to mind. You know, a recent one, uh, God of War, actually really has really interesting, good pacing that you don't really see as much nowadays, especially in the AAA sphere. Um, uh, you know, it it it's it doesn't have. I mean, there's there's openness to it, and you can go and explore, but you don't feel like everybody's t- you know pulling you all these directions. You know, please save my son. Please, you know, find my lost sheep. Whatever. Yeah. You know, so it's just, get me ten mushrooms. In it, the <laughs> you know, so you, you you could go and do that on your own, but um, but you know, it uh, it was a pretty lean game um, overall. I mean, there were side quests and stuff like that, and a lot of different extra things you could do, and you know, even some really late game you know uh challenges that you can tackle if you wanted to yeah but you know fighting was... cthulhu right <laughs> yeah <laughs> did you fight him uh yeah i did actually did you yeah. beat him uh yeah yep. oh my gosh that was i was meant to go back and i just remember that right now uh-huh. yeah i never did yeah those are those are always fun i mean you know omega and final fantasy yes you know. yes you want you want a you want that harder boss and yeah. weapon and so that, like that yeah that's like so for you know when when it comes to like uh a game, you know, we were just talking earlier about the games that tr- try to keep you in, you know, almost as a hostage, you know, in the, in their world, um, you know, by having all these different gimmicks to try to, you know, uh, have a complete experience. Um, back then in the JRPGs, uh, you know, they would uh, they would keep you there because 
or, or you would want to stay there because of those extra challenges post game or whatever, you know, at the end game, you could, uh, there's always, you know, a really, really tough challenge at the end level 99, um, that you would have to, you know, have a really tight strategy on. So, you know, they even threw that in there with the Cthulhu, like you mentioned. Yeah. And that feels very, oh, very yeah. much old school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, not that, you know, they still do stuff like that, but that, yeah. that, that boss fight, uh, felt like it had to be there. I was meant to go back for it, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And sort of to, to close out this section of, I like that we spent so much time on it cause I think it's such a, a crucial point of what makes cosmic star so special, mm-hmm. um, is the, the way that it balances that modernity with a sense of, uh, of the antique of phrase it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, before I ask you this question, there's a little more of that uh, Sternberg um, quote that I wanted to finish here that I just noticed. Uh, he is saying, Chrono Trigger is well known for its pacing. We wanted to apply a similar technique in Cosmic Star Heroine. Without going into too much depth, there's a flow to the game where it starts strong and fast and then eases you into the world, then escalates the conflicts, then eases back a bit before the finale. This is interspersed with a varying degree of story, world building, and exploration. Um, so definitely true of Chrono Trigger, um, but I like that Cosmic Star starts off with an action set piece, right? Mm-hmm. So you're Dave, Chan, uh, Alyssa LaSalle, of course, you're, you're Cosmic Star heroine, mm-hmm. um, who are leading um, this uh, mission, right, to climb this tower and fight off some terrorists that work for, like, a federal organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, not to spoil too much, but, you know, there's a whole adventure that happens, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even to that opening feels a lot like um, the bombing mission yep. on Final Fantasy VII. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, of that. tons of people have drawn that that conclusion. So there's a lot about it that feels uh, perfectly classic. Oh, yeah. But... Uh, where were you in the nineties though? So just to sort of get a little, this is sort of in retrospect after all we've talked about, but, um, the nineties for people like us was sort of when we fell in love with games. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I played a smattering of games in the night, in the eighties, uh, late eighties was born in 85. So I remember playing, you know, the real early stuff for me was, uh, Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember playing a Commodore 64. But those were pastimes um, at that point. It wasn't until the 90s, specifically the Super Nintendo and the PlayStation, when it felt like gaming belonged to me, when it felt like it was uh, telling me stories. Yeah. Um, So what were some of the consoles that you had growing up? Do you remember your first? Well, uh, my first big one, or you know, that I, I spent a lot of time with, was uh, uh, the Sega Genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just had a ton. Of, we, we got a lot of mileage out of that thing. I mean, we we went through like uh, several consoles, um, uh, just using it over and over again. But uh, you know, that was my main thing for a long time. We did have. I don't even know when we got it. I mean, might have just had it for a while. Um, was uh, the original Nintendo, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we we had a few games. We never really bought more games for it. Um, yeah, but we had like Duck Hunt, Super Mario. So you know, we had a lot of the classics. Castlevania. We had Blades oh, of Steel. Yeah. I would play those. Um, but uh, you know, so I I did play them, and you know, I had a lot of fun with it. But I just didn't like it. Wasn't current. It it felt like I was just 
um, you're already then reliving the past. Y- yeah. Especially if you you had a Genesis. Yeah. Um, how old are you? What, what year were you born? I was born in 86. Okay. So yeah. yeah, we're practically the same age. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, so I, you know, start off with mainly with the Genesis, uh, had a lot, of, but you know, it was, it was, I mean, I played it a lot, but you know, it was casual in the sense that, I mean... I mean, I was young. I, I didn't have like a lot of the deeper, you know, thoughts and emotions that, but you know, that start that came along um, when I really got hooked, in, like in a, a real, personal internal level. You know, was uh, more in the later '90s um, when I Final Fantasy VIII, which I referenced a lot because you know that was what you know, game changer for me. And that's your favorite Final Fantasy, right? yeah. Eight. Yeah, that's what brought me into RPGs. You know that that games could be just more than just uh, having fun um, doing side scrollers and you know all, you know uh, and the like. So, uh, do you remember playing an RPG before eight? Out of curiosity, no. So no. that was your gateway. I think and so. A lot of people. I mean, I hadn't heard that too much with eight, but mm-hmm. certainly seven. Yeah, was a lot of people's gateway into yeah. the world of RPGs. Mm-hmm. Um, I and I remember that that was the game that sold the PS one for me too. Yeah, uh, I was like, <laughs> I want to play seven. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, for me it was uh, some of the Super Nintendo stuff. I think. I think it was Breath of Fire mm. before um, Final Fantasy VI for me, but I remember playing some of the real old um, RPGs. There's going to be some people out there who are like, Final Fantasy VI isn't even old. <laughs> like, look, okay, we were born in 85. Like, I was born in 85. <laughs> so, like, yeah, by 95, I was 10. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like I was playing, like, I wasn't playing Final Fantasy One. Mm-hmm. you know no. like i never owned it as a kid yeah um or anything like that i didn't i didn't play Fan- fantasy star as a kid mm. um yeah my rpg bread and butter was uh a lot of breath of fires um a lot of the final fantasies um and some of the obscure stuff here and there but um you know none of the main huge series stuff mm-hmm. but so anyway so eight was your was your gateway into the world of what video games can do as far as storytelling yeah exactly yeah so that was that was a a huge moment and um but you know even before that you know i I was i mean just playing games constantly um and uh yeah so in the 90s i was playing um eventually went from sega genesis to well actually i did have a 32x um but you know that's it felt more like an upgrade than uh an actual yeah, new console i don't even know if i've seen it that. <laughs> <laughs> was ridiculous you just sit this whole thing on top of the genesis yeah, yeah i don't know it was i mean in person i don't i don't think i've ever seen one in person but, yeah, yeah. It, but you know it I, I, we got sonic and knuckles out of out of it that mm-hmm. was fun um and played some uh, racing games on there, but uh, going on from that to the N sixty four, I think was my next one. Oh, you, you did know. have an N sixty four, yeah, yeah. So, so you had it contemporaneous, uh, contemporaneously, yeah, with the PS one. Uh, well, I had it actually before the PS one. Oh, okay, so I did a little backwards, but um, I mean, when it when it comes to because I think. The uh, PS one came out before. I right? think the sixty four was first. But oh, really? Okay, I don't let's, know. Yeah, I didn't. It wasn't hard. even on my radar. Like. Um, I, you know, my I had a very limited scope of what was well, yeah. actually I going mean, on in the landscape. This is a pre-internet Inter- age <laughs> that we're talking about. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Like so. Okay. So uh, September '96 
was the N64. I remember when it came out because it was all throughout the Costco that we used to go to all the time. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, <gasps> it's in 3D. <laughs> like, it's not actually in 3D because it doesn't jump out of the TV, but it had 3D environments, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm like asking for your... Like, <laughs> for <laughs> qualification right it did right yeah uh and then december um or no september 95 so you're right you're right okay. i was wrong uh yeah so a year earlier was the ps1 and then but yeah so that's weird i remember seeing a 64 first mm. but anyway so you got a yeah. 64 first so i did yeah um i think my parents asked me what i uh wanted next and um and I, uh, I just, I really was excited to play Star Fox sixty four. So, I, I kind of did a uh, reverse order where I, uh, I got the, I was able to, well, we were able to purchase the game and the console at the same time and the guide, and uh, but I didn't get to play, I didn't get to, get to open the the console until I think it was the Christmas, and so. Um, you know, so I was just uh, spending like every waking moment looking through the guide, and memorizing everything. <laughs> but that's cool. You got to look through the guide at least. Yeah, yeah. and then that's like funny. looking at the back of the box, and it's like this big old box because it had the rumble pack in there. And oh uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, that so uh, I you know I, I had some really good memories on there, a lot of good games on there. Um, and then yeah, then I uh, got a little bit older. I uh, started getting interest in some of the PlayStation games and. Uh, and yeah, got got into a lot of games there. So you got, you remember that was that release year that you got the sixty four? Uh, I don't. You have been like I, ten I, or something like that. I I would be surprised if it was. Um, I feel like it might have been a year or so, year or so after. after. Yeah. So then, by the time you started getting into, and this is all speculation, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time you started getting into the PS one stuff, mm-hmm. as far as interest. Um, that definitely would have been the time that Sony was overtaking the market share from Nintendo because mm-hmm. yeah, the 64 and the PlayStation were like not an even battle yeah. at all. Uh, I think early on the 64 had a lot of cool traction, mm-hmm. um, but it certainly could not keep up with no. the, well, I mean, nobody could keep up. Yeah. Like this was, yeah. yeah, this was the first console to have like, I think I'm spouting out all these like historical, <laughs> like figures and stuff like that and like wrong about them. So I'll probably be wrong about that. <laughs> like the first <laughs> console. Yeah. The, yeah. Who cares? The first, yeah, I'm not a history book people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the first console that had over like, you know, a thousand games or whatever. Um, it, it, it point being, it had a ton of games. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I definitely felt that pull, you know, um, after having the 64 for a while, I mean, uh, you know, after I mean, there were some really good games at the beginning. You know, GoldenEye, Banjo Kazooie, um, you know, Super Mario sixty four. But then, um, but then, yeah, after a while, it was like kind of feeling that tug that you know. Right. I, I think all the actions over on PlayStation. Right. Yeah, because I think that um, the longevity of the PS one mm-hmm. and the longevity of the sixty four were not equal. No. Um, especially to once the PS one started rolling out the RPGs. Like I said, I liked RPGs from the Super Nintendo, mm-hmm. but Nintendo did not keep up that momentum from the Super Nintendo yeah. onto the 64. Mm-hmm. It had a couple RPGs on the 64, but those are crap. Yeah. I don't let anybody tell you otherwise. <laughs> like, I, yeah, there's not a there's not an RPG. Somebody out there is going to be like, how dare you? <laughs> like, the, the N64 RPGs. Well, I, I honestly, I can't think of, like, a stellar one in this moment. But mm-hmm. the JRPGs sort of migrated from the Super Nintendo to the PS1 mm-hmm. and skipped the 64. And for me, 
I was already all about the the um, JRPGs. I learned to read from Calvin and Hobbes mm-hmm. and from games like Earthbound and Breath of Fire and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, not learned to read like I was already <laughs> like nine, eight, seven, ten, whatever. Yeah. But I learned to read good. Yeah. From those. yeah. Like I learned like new words. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I was like, oh, what does melancholy mean? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, you're like, look it up. Yeah. Uh, in a pre internet era. Yeah. It was hard to do. Yep. But um, okay. So then. Uh, and then you've been with Sony ever since. You got a PS2, PS3, PS4. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much. Um, I mean, I had a GameCube in there for um, like a graduation present. Uh, but yeah, besides that, um, pretty much been Sony faithful since. I mean, I haven't really Sony had a faithful. I haven't been. I haven't <laughs> had a reason to leave, man. You know, yeah, it's yeah. it's all here. Yeah, everything. Yeah, I there's want. A, there's quite a bit there. Um, now earlier you were talking about getting with your daughter and playing some Pikachu, some Pokemon. Yeah, let's go. That's yeah. The Switch is a cool supplementary uh, console. I think right now mm-hmm. my perspective on on the consoles as they're laid out right now, and people are already talking about like the PS5 and yeah. stuff like that. And I was like, uh, I'm not ready for it. I'm never ready for the new <laughs> yeah, console. I'm it took just you like, a while to get a PS4, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I just <laughs> yeah. I haven't gotten a console at launch. Well, the Switch I got at launch. Yeah. Um, but like I haven't gotten a console at launch for a long time. Mm-hmm. Maybe not since the PS1. Mm. Um. But anyways, uh, yeah, I think that um, I think that the the PS4 has more than enough content mm-hmm. to not really want specifically anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, the Switch, if you're a Nintendo fan or if you like, you know, any of those franchises that have been around for thirty years, mm-hmm. um, the Switch has got a lot of cool stuff to play on, and as an indie's platform, and then the portability. But being able to play with your child, something like you know. Pikachu, let's go and stuff like that. Yeah, um, are cool, but yeah. I don't. I don't know that I'm ready for new consoles. No, and you know, I I do have a little bit of a an itch to get that. Well, oh no, I almost <laughs> said a really lame rhyme there. Um, itch to get that switch. <laughs> itch to get that switch. <laughs> Nintendo, if you're listening, we got a marketing yeah. uh, specialist here for you. Yeah, copyright. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so. Uh, you know because of i mean i never really played and really got attached to you know a lot of the the uh nintendo characters mm-hmm. um in their pantheon. well you've never played a zelda game i never played a zelda yeah, that's game. A, this is now official like <laughs> out there yeah mario is don't tell anybody your address <laughs> <laughs> yeah no <laughs> yeah death threats um yeah <laughs> but uh you know mario was just you know i mean didn't really have a personality right um i never that's played. one of those like extremely casual yeah just like fun but yeah yeah, I never played a Metroid game at either. Oh um, my god! <laughs> but yeah, oh so I never really gosh. had attachment. To- <laughs> but yeah, if you never had the, well, you had a GameCube for a wee bit, and there was Prime on there. But um, yeah, yeah but, you never had a Wii, so yeah. You know, so the the only real game I did have an attachment to, though, that's related to Nintendo is Pokemon, and so. Um, who hasn't yeah i know well right? yeah like a exactly, billion yeah. people play pokemon yeah <laughs> so you know um once they come out i mean so definitely pokemon let's go i would uh you know is uh a, a big incentive for me to buy um but then you know i hear they're also gonna be coming with a, a proper a core rpg a core, on console the first time see that would be yeah. me i've always for years and years and years wished for that and i would and i say to myself you know that once they come up with that, I'm definitely buying the, that console. And so, if they're if they're going to actually do that, I mean, for sure, that's a, a done deal. Yeah. Because I mean, yeah. I still love yeah. Pokemon. And yeah. 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 So, well, 
Oh, maybe Santa will bring you a Switch <laughs> for your sake. Because, yeah, there's, there's a, well, let me know. Because there's a lot of uh, cool stuff that I'd recommend on there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Octopath Traveler mm-hmm. is, a, is a pretty good game. Um, definitely Zelda Breath of the Wild. I feel like you have to play a Zelda before Breath of the Wild mm. to appreciate what yeah. Breath of the Wild is. Yeah, that's um, but yeah, maybe by the time you get one, there'll be like a way to play a past Zelda. Well, you know, actually, I you know, well, uh, on the uh, Cla- Nintendo Classic, um, or was it the? Uh, anyways, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah they have this the Zelda original. Games. Yeah, right. So like, oh, one and two. Yeah, they had don't one play the two. second one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you played the second one? Uh, I started up. I was like, holy oh. <laughs> smokes, that is a freaking hard game. Yeah. I couldn't beat the first boss. I was like, how does anybody beat this? <laughs> uh, we've got somebody who writes for us, hyper active coffee mage i almost said hyper light drifter mage. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> who uh that second zelda is his favorite zelda mm. um from you know familiarity and stuff like that mm-hmm. but yeah i i can't get into it. the first game though is an open world game on the nes yeah that's... and that's pretty mind-blowing oh yeah yeah, for sure. yeah. Uh, you need a guide for it though yeah, for so sure. I, I I tried it for a while, and you know it was really cool. And I even tried because uh, I hadn't hadn't played Earthbound before, so I tried that. It was it was pretty cool to start that up. Um, that was a funny game. Yeah, as freaking you got it. Yeah, it takes time to get into that because uh-huh. you're kind of like what the yeah. Where's my dragons and wizards and swords and stuff? <laughs> but uh, yeah, that game gets yeah. There's some hilarious stuff in Earthbound. Yeah, so you know. It's uh, it's been cool being able to try try some of those things for the first time. Yeah, but there are so many. So kind of to tie this section out. Uh-huh. There are so many experiences to be had in games. Like we were talking about at the beginning, it's a shame when um, you kind of get stuck under a banner. Um, you kind of get stuck under a label. Yeah, you and I talk about this all the time mm-hmm. in different terms. Mm-hmm. Um, in private. <laughs> <laughs> um, but trying new things is, I think, a virtue. Mm-hmm. Um, unless it's, you know, like torturing puppies or whatever, <laughs> don't do that. Um, but trying new products, trying new experiences and entertainment, uh, are good things. Yeah. Um, sorry I talked about torturing puppies. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll probably edit that out. Somebody will be like, what the, yeah. why'd you say that? Um, so yeah, trying new things really good. Um, it's always good to explore, uh, try new genres, um, and that's what I'm trying to do all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of things that I still want to catch up on. But coming back to Cosmic Star Heroine, just to kind of close this podcast out. If anything, I, I think we really focused on what makes a good uh, retro throwback. Yeah, It's not enough to just say this game is a retro throwback. Mm-hmm. So many games say that. So many games say pixel, pixel art evocative of the 90s and 80s and whatever. Uh, the golden age of arcades, I, I see a lot too. Um, but it's like, if you're going to say golden age of arcades, and it better play like the golden oh, yeah. age of the arcades. It better not just be like, oh, it looks like this, but it's not. It's, you know, it's something else entirely. And with Cosmic Star Heroine, if I had to describe it in one word, I would say genuine. Mm-hmm. It yeah. feels like it has a lot of integrity. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's a game that knows what it wants to be. And that's high praise, I think. Yeah. There's a lot of games out there that are confused about their identity. Yeah. You know, and to me, it it uh, it feels like, uh, I don't know how to put it, but like, you know, it just hits like that 
you know, to me, like when you're talking about retro games, you know, it, yeah, it's not just enough to put a, a pixel art over it and call it retro mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, but uh, in a way, like it, it just resets everything that you've done from being a child to, you know, being uh, to today and brings you straight back to what you cared about, what you felt back then. Um, you, you could even see that in the story. Um, like it's just, you know, in a way, I guess, you know, simple or naive in a way. I don't know, but right. it's, it's pure. It's, it's almost pure. Yeah, like you, you don't understand, you don't, um, you don't get this highly sympathetic villain. Yeah. You don't get, uh, you don't get these characters that are constantly betraying each other or have dark, impossibly gritty p- past yeah. that are haunting them and torturing them. And, uh, you just get, sort of this traditional good versus evil kind of mm-hmm. tale mm-hmm. um that's very what's the right right word for it um it's very specific i guess you could say uh it's very placed within a time period mm-hmm. um cuz again i think today characters you sort of demand so much from characters today that they have to be these encyclopedically dark yeah you know and and tortured characters but it, so in that sense too it was refreshing yeah so i love yeah just you know, like how it it uh, takes you back and um and it, it just assumes that colorful like these archetypical characters are cool you know like uh and that you know having these predictable kind of you know naive storylines are you know um uh or something that you would want to take seriously and just, you know, play for, you know, and have a good time with, you know, and it just really doesn't take into account like that cynicism that we've kind of Mm. been able to develop over the years and, you know, just put you and assumes that that inner child that's in you is still there and want, and, you know, has just been sitting there patiently waiting for, you know, this uh, new game to come out. Um, And, you know, like going back to that uh, image I brought back earlier with the, you know, looking at that, uh, the shelves in Blockbuster for that new game, um, you know, feels like it's, you know, fits right in there along with a lot, a lot of the uh, classics. So. Yeah. Now, I like what you mentioned there. Um, makes me think in terms of uh, the main character, you know, Alyssa being sort of uh, not pure virtue. I'm trying to remember if she had a specific character flaw. Um, but... I can't recall one off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, again, they're not, they're not, they are very archetypal. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not very, they're not very um, cinematic in what you'd expect. And when we use the term cinematic for game storytelling mm-hmm. specifically, but there's a time and a place for that, uh, that kind of storytelling, uh, almost like this fairy tale yeah. kind of storytelling. Um, but something that is in that fairy tale storytelling. So not to call it so simple um, to say that it has no value, mm-hmm. but to call it simple in that it's, you know, it's linear, it's, it's uh, transparent to an extent, mm-hmm. um, but it's also virtuous. Yeah. Um, virtue is something that is sort of discarded for the sake of the hyper cool um, anti-hero mm-hmm. of the day. Um this is something we kind of touched upon in our Arkham Asylum podcast too. If you want to hear more on that from uh, a couple of other guests that I had too, but um, there's it seems toward the end of the game. I don't really want to spoil it, but there's there are 
plot twists in the game. And one of them toward the end involved uh, Alyssa having to believe the best in someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is really, oh gosh, I almost used the term precious. <laughs> but it's really precious. Uh, that's not what I meant. It's it's like it's like the same thing as innocence. Yeah. Like innocence is a substantial thing to have. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's something that, you know, is good for a person. Yeah. Um, so like not everybody is, you know, just an incriminated, you know, person that's walking around thinking the most cynical thing about everybody else. Mm -hmm. People aren't just like that. Um, you know, I run into a lot of people online who are like, I hate humans. I was like, well, you're talking to one right now. Why'd you make a social media account? You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, yeah, like a social social media account. Like, why be social if you hate humans? Anyways, mm-hmm. but um, there is so much rampant cynicism. And in a way, games like this, games from the 90s, games that want to tell these simpler stories in terms of more compactness, um, want to remind us in a way that human beings aren't always cynical, mm-hmm. um, that good does triumph over evil a mm-hmm. lot, um, that the world isn't always you know, a dumpster fire. Yeah. Um, that there are good people who care about other people. Uh, and I keep thinking of the image of, uh, people forming a chain. Um, when the last hurricane was at Harvey, I think, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, hit, um, the Southern parts of the U S mm. and, you know, there's cars being swept away by floodwaters. And, um, there's an image that's stuck in my mind since then of civilians forming a human chain with each other, linking arms, to go and rescue a family from this SUV that was about to be swept away. Um, Mm. And that, that sense of humans being able to set aside their selfishness. And believe me, I mean, I agree that humans are fundamentally selfish, Mm -hmm. self-centered. I'm not saying that human beings are fundamentally good. Mm -hmm. I don't think that at all. Not like, (laughs) not in any terms. Yeah. Um, But, I think that human beings are capable of good. Yeah. You know, and that's what games like this sort of remind you. Yeah. You know, of, so I know a lot of, uh, a lot of folks, when I mentioned that I was going to talk about cosmic star heroine have not played it. Um, few of you mentioned even that you hadn't even heard of it before. Mm. Um, I would definitely recommend playing it. If you're a fan yeah. of, uh, games from, uh, the nineties and you want something that's not just going to pander to you in that sense. Like, Oh, retro throwback. And you start and you're like, this is not anything substantial, but it's a short enough game to where even if you don't completely like it, it's not going to suck up two months of your life. Yeah. You know? So it's something that you can play, uh, and stay with and enjoy and whatever stays with you after that is good. So, Cosmic Star Heroine by Ziboid Games. I hope you guys get to try it. Um, in closing, similar titles that you'd recommend. Can you think of anything similar to this? Uh, hmm. Okay, let me ask you a more pointed question than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this might work or it might not. It might not. Okay. Um, <laughs> Final Fantasy VIII. Yeah. Is there anything from Final Fantasy VIII that you see in Cosmic Star? Um... Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, there are some things that uh, 
you can, I mean, that are gameplay wise that we mentioned, like, um, for instance, the, you know, having to use characters, uh, splitting up the group and all that. Um, they, they do use a lot of those, you know, so there's, uh, it, it does follow that, uh, similar pattern of going through portions of the story where, um, uh, where, uh, you know, you, you're, where you're on rails and then, and then you, after that you, you get, uh, some breathing time. Um, so, you know, it, uh, harkens back to a lot of, um, uh, you know, a lot of the, those, those patterns that were really successful back then. Um, and then, you know, uh, the characters in eight were a little bit more complex, I'd say, but, um, but in the end they were, you know, very recognizable. They're very, um, you can, you can, um, you know, you can say there, there were, you know, uh, somewhat archetypical as well or archetypal. Um, so, um, uh, you know, there's the, the, the quiet leader, there's, you know, the, the loud mouth energetic, you know, guy. And so, you know, so, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of, um, a lot of that in there. Um, just a little bit more, um, maybe the next era of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. And eight seemed like another game that believed in the best in people too. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, yeah, it definitely has uh, some of those messages in there um, that uh, were a lot more. Um, I don't know. I can't even think of the word. Uh, but uh, oh, man, I can't think of the word. But <laughs> but yeah, easier to um, uh, you know to come to groups with back then. So um, yeah. Uh, let me try to think here of other games. The one that I was going to mention uh, for my recommendation was uh-huh. uh, I Am Setsuna. Oh, okay. Um, which I don't think you've played. Um, no. Yeah. But uh, it was another one that was like uh, inspired by mm. you know, mm-hmm. classic RPGs and so on and so forth. I mentioned Chrono Trigger a lot. Yeah. And that was another game that I felt actually delivered on a substantial RPG experience in terms of its gameplay and its structure that felt like it was from the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, very beautiful game, very soft, mm. uh, gentle game, but good one. So, yeah. Um, I mean, and then if we're going, you know, it depends how far we're going back, but you know, obviously at yeah, Chrono Trigger, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, some of the earlier final fantasies, um, Suikoden, uh, definitely had some, some of that in there, especially with the, uh, um, larger cast and the uh, different roles they would, play outside you know some of the base building i guess you would call it where you would uh, collect characters and they would uh, and then you would see them in your base after after you recruited them so um chrono cross too um uh, and yeah so those are some of the ones that immediately jumped to my mind yeah the recruitment of characters that reminds me that um on twitter at srick360 uh, who mentioned he um, started it but hadn't uh, gotten too far in it, uh, said, one thing I heard about that that got me excited was getting a spaceship. I want to see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. And I like that that sort of changes the tone and mm. the structure of the game at a certain point. Yeah. Um, yeah, for let sure. Let's see if there's anything else okay. at this point. Um. Yeah, a couple other responses we got on Twitter. One was from at Retro GIF Monster. He said, have it on PS4 and I kickstarted it. Uh, I haven't finished it yet, though, because of the backlog. But I'm about halfway through. It's a great game. 
Not as much like Chrono Trigger as the graphics would have you think, but it's really great in its own right. I think they're getting at um, how it's a combination of influences. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not like time traveling and yep. Chrono Trigger had its sci-fi, but it was also you know like sci fantasy. Yeah, I would say. Whereas this is more strict sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from at Fritzalgia on Twitter. Unpopular opinion. Oh, here we go. <laughs> when you're marketing a game by referencing classic games as inspiration and you offer a similar experience with few variations, why should someone play it instead of the originals? I think that's an honest question yeah. though. Yeah. Um how would you respond to that? No, I mean I totally agree. And you know, to me I didn't I wasn't there, you know, during the Kickstarter phase and you know, any I, I, I personally didn't even see any marketing on it. So um but I, you know, I do know that there has been some I mean, you know, there's the, you know, like we talked about earlier, talking about uh, uh, referencing a Chrono Trigger in there. Um, and so, you know, you know, in the, in the specific situation, why wouldn't you just go and play Chrono Trigger? Well, you know, I absolutely should go play Chrono Trigger. Yeah. <laughs> but if you played but, it 200 times, yeah, right, then you you might be looking for a new experience. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, 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 I mean, there, there's... You know, there's reasons why we have genres. Um, you know, we like uh, certain patterns and formulas on on how things are structured, how things work, and you can come in with certain expectations of storytelling and game mechanics. And so, um, I mean, you, you don't just uh, play um, one open world and say that's it or whatever. You know, there's a whole different variety. Uh, or same thing with RPGs, um, any any genre. But you know, not they're not all the same. They offer something a little different. And this. Um, and so, you know, um, you know, this is a def- definitely a very um, different experience than Chrono Trigger. There's similarities for sure. I right. mean, there's a reason why it's um, compared to it, but um, but it just means that it's within that same kind of genre, same kind of even subgenre within the art JRPG um, realm. But uh, but it's, it is definitely a different game, um, and it it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't rely on it as a crutch to right. have uh, to be um, to be good, right? So and and two, I think I would add that it's a combination of inspirations and influences, y- yeah, in a unique uh, way, an yeah. interesting way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of unfair to say it's just Chrono Trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, Chrono Trigger is a big mm-hmm. influence, um, but you know you can see a lot of different elements brought in from other series. There certainly Final Fantasy. Fantasy Star is another one that I've seen referenced. Mass Effect is mm. one that I've seen referenced, which is odd because that's a newer yeah. series, <laughs> but it's still there as a as a reference anyway. So um, yeah, I think that why would you play it instead of some of the originals? Um, cause you probably played the originals to death <laughs> as good as they are. <laughs> yeah. Um, you might be looking for a new experience. It depends on the consumer, but, um, you know, some people are satisfied with just playing the, the old one and that's fine. That's yeah. what they get out of it. But, um, I think as far as cosmic star, it feels like, yeah, a unique combination of influences that maybe you haven't seen before. or haven't seen elsewhere. Yeah. It's challenging in its own right. It mm-hmm. has its own story. Um, the gameplay is satisfying. Yeah, and yeah. like you said earlier, using that word, uh, I thought was perfect for it. It was uh, genuine. You know, it's uh, I can understand his skepticism. I mean, if if I'm interpreting it right, but um, you know, there's there you know there's a lot of just copycat games out there. A lot of games that just rely solely on that nostalgia, and uh, you know, that's why I was really pleasantly pleasantly surprised with this game was uh is how it, it didn't just pander to you um on that basis but yeah it uh genuine, genuinely felt like uh, a jrpg from that era yeah and uh stood up on its own yeah 
No, and definitely that, um, like we mentioned the spaceship just a little while ago, we got um, from at Wally Wallcakes on Twitter, um, who was mentioning how they, uh, the game didn't really grab them. Mm. Uh, I think they mentioned they were about eight hours in. So uh, there's still a while left to go, mm-hmm. even at eight hours in. But the game seems like it changes a bit of the tonality and a bit of the style. Yeah. Uh, its structure, it seems less linear toward the end of the game. Mm-hmm. So there's that to look forward to, Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, I think it's a game that that isn't so uniform within itself, if that makes sense. You know, like it has enough variation over time mm-hmm. to where... So, you know, so like if you don't like a certain character, if you don't like a certain feature, um, those things change, yeah. you know, as the game progresses. Okay. Uh, and then this is going to be a good final question to end on. This is from at Esper Dreams. Uh, I've never even heard of this. My question would be, what makes this game a must play for someone who has never heard about it? We've sort of been unta- unpacking this this whole time, but in a nutshell, what would make this game a must play for someone who's never heard of it. <laughs> must play is kind of hard. Um, I think there's few games that are must plays. Yeah. But, you know, taking that sort of broadly, what, what would interest someone who's never heard of it? Well, I mean, you know, definitely uh, understanding, you know, if you have that background with an appreciation for RPGs, especially um, the early RPGs of yesteryear, um, this definitely uh, would hit that note. Um, because, um, of all the things we said in the podcast, uh, yep. but, but pretty much, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, it's, um, it's, you know, it's a really, uh, good, uh, really genuine game that is genuinely fun. I mean, the, the gameplay mechanics, like we said, they, they're not just reusing old ones. Mm-hmm. They, you know, um, they, there's, uh, they're reinventing within that subgenre. And, um, you know, so it's genuinely just a really fun game to play from an RPG perspective. And, um, you know, there's a really large, colorful cast. I mean, the, I love the, each character, the dialogue and, um, and the story, you know, I mean, it's just fun. I mean, and it it doesn't get super dark or serious or, and it doesn't get super complex, but, um, but it, you know, it's just, it's fun and, uh, it's not, and it's not too, simple to where it's just like eh, you know like why am i even you know right. bothering with it but it uh you know so it has that you know good balance there's um, enough intrigue in the story to keep you invested you, yep yeah. exactly um i would say i would hit on that that gameplay specifically that um it does rpg gameplay in a concise precise and compact way mm-hmm. that a lot of games seem to have set aside and so if you want an rpg that will challenge you, that will force you to think strategically, that will cause you to to make, to have to make good moves in order to stay in the game. Uh, this is the game for you. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's manageable. It's not going to suck up a ton of your time. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would definitely say, I mean, most people are probably fans of, to some extent, of games from the 90s. Mm-hmm. I haven't met anyone, I don't think, it was just like, 90s games suck. <laughs> like, I don't think I've met that person. Yeah. But I'm sure they're out there. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, yeah, if you have even the smallest inkling of love for that era, uh, there's a lot that you would probably love. Mm-hmm. Probably so, thanks for being on this podcast with me, Cameron. Yeah, thanks for having um, me. I don't know if this will be the last one that we do before you move. Yeah. But um, we'll have to continue doing them long distance. Yeah. So, okay. 
And uh, thank you guys for listening. Have a good day. Bye. Good night. Good night. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I hope you enjoyed that episode of MageCast as much as I did. If so, please follow, subscribe, share, and leave us a review to help us reach a wider audience. If you enjoy our work, please consider supporting us and our vision for the future of gaming conversations through patreon.com forward slash thewellreadmage. Special thanks to my magely colleague, Brent Mead, for sound editing. The MageCast theme song, Post Atmosphere, was composed by fellow mage Russell Gordon and can be found on his YouTube and SoundCloud. This episode may be over, but the legend will live on. Passed down by the dwarves, the elves, and the dragons. <laughs>